it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 We are on Christmas Eve Eve, and uh, we have a big show planning. And you, the, a lot of times when you get to the holidays, things slow down. Not the case today. Uh, and we have a lot of things of uh, great interest, including the weather. I'm not going to go in detail about the weather, but wherever you are, it's affecting your Christmas. But not, I hope, to the point where you don't have one like past years. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is an FBI that we now know has interfered in two presidential elections. Okay, and if you want a reminder about just how much it interfered in 2016, go and take a look at some of those John Durham transcripts from the trials. Yeah, I did. Kim Strassel, Wall Street Journal. With me last night, filling in for Laura, fighting back, failing to convince the FBI that firing back at Twitter files by saying that they were just doing their jobs. Really? The FBI aggressively defending themselves by saying they're just doing their jobs, focusing on foreign entity in our election. Really? Facts are stubborn things, and they lead me down a different path, Mr. and Mrs. FBI. I will explain. Number two, $250 million bond. It is only secured by the parent's house worth $4 million. That makes zero sense. $4 million would be the actual bail amount. Bailed out. Yes, crypto creep Sam is freed from now for now as the man who blew billions awaits his fate as his ex-girlfriend and co-founder pled guilty and now combining to sink him in jail for decades. Why do I get the feeling that this Democratic mega donor will get a slap rather than the slammer? Number one. It is the big media that has conditioned the American people to not understand the complexities of what's happening at the border. You couple that with the Senate deal, which was passed basically with a twink and a nod, uh, allowing this program to continue. Byron Donald's weighing in, up-and-coming star on the right. Time is running out on Title 42, and a massive wave is building in Mexico to overwhelm our border again. The American Christmas present? Well, it's coming our way. More experts conclude that President Biden led four-plus million in, in intentionally, covering it all up with fake rage. What I mean by fake rage is Chris Whipple wrote a book, and it's going to be out, and they want to sell it, obviously, and they say, Joe Biden was so angry he would be using the F-bomb, and they could hear it throughout the West Wing. Why was there a crisis at the border? How could they let this happen? How could you let it happen? You signed the executive orders undoing a third country, undoing Remain in Mexico, stopping the wall that we paid for. And you wonder why there's a catastrophe? During the debates, you said you want everyone to come? They came with Biden-Harris shirts on, and you want us to believe that he was cursing? In the West Wing, I don't know what's worse, that he actually was mad or that he that it's written down that he's pretending to be mad to cover his tracks. This is embarrassing. 
the rest of the world is looking at us and how could a superpower be so negligent? Remember, some Democrats are being responsible. Some Democrats understand the president's got to be here. Some Democrats understand that fentanyl's coming through thanks to China and the cartels. I'm talking about criminal and criminal killing Americans. 180,000 so far this year. Listen to Derek Maltz talk about this. He's all over this issue. Retired DEA, cut seven. The Mexican cartels are dispatching their operatives in America. They're going right over the open border, and they're going to cities like the Crossroads of America, Indiana. They had a major press announcement yesterday, Judge. They were bringing in large amounts of methamphetamine and and, uh, fentanyl using rail cars from Mexico. But when they took down the case, nine out of the 12 were illegals from Mexico and Central America. That's because they're running over the border. Then if you look at Atlanta, for example, DEA has been hitting all these meth conversion labs. They're bringing the meth into American cities, in our backyards. They send the chemists, they send the operatives right over the border, and they push the poison all over America. I I think we know. I think the polls are overwhelming. Everybody listening to me right now virtually is against open borders. We don't even notice I don't use the word immigration. It's not immigration. We're not even talking about it. They're just coming into our country at dizzying rate. They go, this is the one time. So if someone could go, someone just says, wait a second, Disney charges too much money. I can't afford to go. But if I go around the back door, I get in for free and I get to run all the rides. And if I get hurt, I get fixed and I have a place to stay. I'm going to get new shoes and then I'm going to get a bus ride home. You're going to Disney. Well, it's not right for all those people waiting in line, paying over $1,000 or buying the season pass. You don't care. Everyone's doing it because sooner or later they're going to realize the back door is open. They're going to close it. So I got to come one, come all. I love my analogy. I just get it into it now. I think I will use it over and over again until you're sick of it. Uh, I'm not sure. So far, they have not released the official numbers in November. Why is that? Because it's so horrific heading into the holidays. So horrific heading into the omnibus 1.7 1.7 trillion signed off on 6,000 plus pages. Nobody knows what's in it. There'd be too much pressure to put too much Border Patrol information in it. Byron Donald said it right. Get people confused about what the actual issues on the border. Make people seem racist or intolerant by bringing up that we don't want every Central and South American individual to be able to come in for free. Cut three. It is the big media that has conditioned the American people to not understand the complexities of what's happening at the border. You couple that with the Senate deal, which was passed basically with a twink and a nod, uh, allowing this program to continue. House Republicans are going to be hamstrung by this spending bill because what are the leverage points to actually require the Biden administration to actually secure the border? A couple things that can be done. Number one, give border agents the ability to make credible threats of fear at the border. Number two, don't allow people to make asylum claims at the southern border. Yeah, I mean, there's some basic things that really worked. Got it down to 400,000 for the year. They have 400,000 within a month. And look, when it wasn't wasn't working for President Trump, do you know what I got? Urged by the White House to go down there and look at it. Nobody at the White House wanted to avoid this story. They would give me the Homeland Security Secretary to say, this is broken. We need more money here. This is the port of entry. This is the problem. There's huge gaps in the fence. Uh, we can't get, we got to get drones up in the air. We got to get this electronic surveillance. We got to build roads to be able to move quickly with Border Patrol. We need more people. We need more soft sided tents in the short term. But the one thing about the Trump administration, they never ducked it. 
But the rest of the media, just after a few days, they're tired of the story already. I'm not. Uh, on that monstrous bill, $773 billion for domestic programs, $850 billion for the military, covering expenses through the 2023 year. So the military got money that they needed. That's why the Tom Cottons and the Lindsey Graham signed off on it. You not had Senator Shelby and others, Senator Cornyn, Senator Inhofe, Mitch McConnell, Jerry Moran, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Mike Rounds, Richard Shelby, John Thune, Roger Wicker. What it doesn't have is enough border money. Uh, what it does, what it does have, is Ukraine money, and possibly if it went to the House. Republicans wouldn't have voted for it. They have a small margin. They would have asked Democrats to vote with it, and maybe they wouldn't have done it. And then they would have extracted something for their inconvenience. Uh, I want to move on and talk about something else that matters uh, and really has got me aggravated. I saw this story that, if, uh, that you know, the world's Bernie Madoff on steroids, the guy who destroyed cryptocurrency once and for all and showed it to the scam it seems to be, is now out on $250 million bail. And then I heard it was bond. And then I heard, I said to myself, where is he getting that from? I thought he only had $100,000. I go, well, his parents put up their belongings. I'm like, well, how much do they have? They were Stanford professors. How much does that pay? Well, they live in a $4 million house. That's all they put up? Listen to David McDowell unwind this. Cut 10. And I just need to correct something that's the headline in every newspaper across the country. It is the record highest ever $250 million bond. It is utter garbage. $250 million bond. I have seen the actual bail bond. It is only secured by the parent's house worth $4 million. It is not secured by anything else. So that makes zero sense. Four million dollars would be the actual bail amount, not two hundred and fifty million dollars. So what's going on here? How does that happen? Bernie Madoff, I, I forgot. Bernie Madoff was out. Was was under house arrest for ten million. Why would you give him that little? Why would you let him out of prison? We get upset at smash and grabs where people go to the jewelry store and leave with $250,000, let's say a million dollars. We're upset by this group of people in mass that go into an expensive jewelry and we, they do a, and they get out. They go into CVS, they strip the, they strip the, uh, they strip the shelves and they, and they get out. And we're upset by that. We're horrified by it. Why do they think they can do that? Why didn't security stop them? You're talking $500,000, you're talking $20,000. Why are we not outraged about a guy that took over a billion from one million people. Summer pension funds, cops, firefighters, they put their pension funds, they think they're going to invest in something wise. They see Shaquille O'Neal and Tom Brady and Mr. Wonderful uh, from the Shark Tank. They go, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my money in that. And, and these, these funds do the same thing and they lose all their money. And this guy gets to get out and hang out in beautiful Palo Alto, California for Christmas. I, I mean, look. We know they flipped his co-founder. They know they flipped his girlfriend with Alameda. They know they're both looking at 100 years in prison. What are they going to say? And when they expose this guy, which I imagine, don't know for sure, as knowingly taking money from investors like maybe you and just buying up real estate for their personal wealth and pretending that crypto is the future. This guy should go away forever. 
but I fear that his Democratic and political contacts will give him a soft landing and make him a sympathetic figure. I don't think so. I think he's entitled. I think that he's warped. I think he's clueless. And he might be intelligent, but he's not street smart. Vivek Ramaswamy sounded, I thought, just summed it up perfectly last night with Tucker. Because we're trying to make heads and tails. But, you know, you and I aren't focusing on bail and how they do it and how much it's secured. But I think it's important to point out, you can't get upset at people who are stocking masks and just rob a store and not be outraged by him. Because in terms of dollars, he's done a lot more damage. Cut 12. The whole thing is a smokescreen. It is an optical illusion. And why did they do it? It's because it makes the prosecutors look good. It makes them look like they're being tough, making the highest possible bond in American history. Guess what? If he flees, it could have been $10 trillion. Nobody's putting up that money. And the whole thing is a story of smoke screens from the do good smoke screen of SBF and effective altruism and the good ESG scores now to the prosecutors, just like SBF, pretending like they're participating in a modern Charles Dickens novel where everyone is a caricature of themselves playing their own role. And this was all about today the prosecutors puffing their chest at something that was an optical illusion all the way down. Oh, and Jamie Dimon says stay away from crypto, and Warren Buffett says I don't understand it, why anyone would do it. That was enough. And then you add this. I'm not aboard. And really smart people in, who spend their life in finance say uh, say it's still got a bright future. Sorry, not after this. Uh, and these smart people that don't get a true accounting of what they're endorsing or what they're investing in boggles my mind. I mean, the fact is the guy had no risk management team. He had no lawyers on site to see where the money is. You couldn't verify how much was in an actual fund. And the guy, instead of looking like Leo DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street, who can lure you in for, and be charismatic and kind of make you think, well, this guy really knows what he's doing. He's got gel in his hair and a million-dollar suit. You got a guy in corduroy shorts, 80 pounds overweight, can't look you in the eye. He would not—this is what they were saying about him. This guy was so ridiculous that if you went to see him, he would still say, I'd rather you go in the other room and Zoom with me. And that's who you put your money in? Call Shimkus when we come back. But more importantly, it's your calls. I don't remember a time where we've had more interaction with our audience, more people anxious to talk. And many of you disagree with me, especially when it comes to Ukraine, and that's fine. Uh, and I'm all in on Kevin McCarthy, and some of you aren't. Then that's fine. The, the show may, it makes the show better. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's very disappointing to see the FBI continue in its downward spiral. What they called misinformation was their own words. What we have revealed from the Twitter dump is their own words, their own emails. Uh, not to mention the whistleblowers have come forward and told us additional information that the public will be hearing very soon. Uh, and what they call, who they call conspiracy theorists are conservatives in the media and members of Congress. So the FBI has a huge problem. It's only getting worse. And their confidence level, not only among uh, Republicans in Congress, but among the public is at an all-time low. So here's the problem. That's James Comer is going to be chairman of oversight. You'll be hearing a lot from him, maybe directly on our show, but that's just a cut because the FBI fired back after these Twitter releases of the communications between the Twitter, uh, Elon Musk Twitter, and what was happening when the previous owner, Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, was running things. And it looks like on a regular basis, the FBI was there flagging different accounts, urging them to suspend them, also giving them an idea in private conversations private conversations that the Hunter Biden laptop was coming down the pike. Not my opinion. I'm not throwing together lines of logic. I'm talking about what these guys said under oath because they were being sued because of what they were doing with the election or perceived to be doing what they were doing in the election. So they said, Twitter did, executives, that they felt pressured and compelled to suspend that account. And when the Hunter Biden laptop came through, this guy, Yoel, Roth said, I was told specifically about that, even though it was denied by Elvis Chan, this now famed FBI agent. So that was James Comer. Now they got a pathway for investigation like they never thought they would have. So I asked Michael Schellenberger last night, like I did on this show, I said, Michael, they're basically looking at your work and saying that anybody who concluded they were doing something unsavory or illegal was a conspiracy theorist. And here's what he said, cut 15. I think what was so threatening about what we did is that we just presented a series of facts. Uh, We weren't theorizing at all. I wrote uh, the Twitter files part seven, and I just laid out the pattern of information, some of which we did know before, but some of which we didn't. We did know that the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop in December of 2019. We knew that the federal authorities, the FBI, was raising the alarm about Russian interference in the 2020 elections. We now know that they were specifically raising concerns around a Hunter Biden-related leak in October before the elections. We also saw the Aspen Institute was involved in raising the alarm. And I think most significantly, we saw former FBI general counsel, who had become Twitter's deputy general counsel, making the strongest argument by far of any Twitter employees for censoring Hunter Biden's laptop and ultimately discrediting it, in the, discrediting it in the minds of many voters, including myself, who did not take it very seriously when the New York Post reported on it in mid-October 2020. And they're talking about James Baker. There were eight former FBI agents working at Twitter. And there was a bunch of CIA guys working at Meta. Now it was then Facebook. All right, go get a job afterwards. You have unique skills. But the fact that they're interacting and something that matters so much bothers me. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In our Harris poll this month, I think the findings on immigration were frankly devastating for the administration. When the administration started, people thought that uh, that Biden's policies were humanitarian. Today, they think that they're promoting crime, Mm. uh, fentanyl, increased problems in the country. But interestingly, 
Only 6% of the public really knew the true dimension of the problem, that it was 2 to 3 million migrants wow. crossing the border. Many people thought it was 50,000, 100,000. So as this information gets out, the polling is going to be even worse. Frankly, Congress should act. 79% in our poll say that Title 42 should be retained. I know. That's Mark Penn who weighs in. As you know, he's a longtime Clinton pollster. Carly Shimkus with us now because three hours on Fox and Friends was just not enough. Just not I, enough. And, and how hard, I mean, over and over again, can I please do radio? And I said, okay, can I bring her in? And everyone said, the producer said, no, Ugh. we don't want her. And I said, listen, do me this favor. And Pete and Eric finally gave in. You, uh, I. So did you know that you're saying that to me? Usually oh. those things are um, kept from well, the Well, this person. is the problem. I am not good with yeah. people no and filters. in social situations. That's okay. I appreciate that about it, you. This is yeah. why I spend a lot of holidays alone. Yes. <laughs> because I tend to say the wrong thing all the time. You no, always I, I love, say the right thing. No, I love working with you. Oh, uh, and now, uh, you know, we've been working all, you've been working all week. You're doing Fox and Friends. Well, you missed Monday. And yep. then you Tuesday, Wednesday, you did? I did. What did I do Wednesday? Gosh, that already feels like so long ago. You uh, did Fox and Friends Fox first. Fox and Friends first, so normal. And then I'm filling in for Rachel tomorrow, and I'll be here Christmas, and then the day after that, and the day after that. Right. Um, so were you surprised that Mark Penn says most people, because we live in this bubble, not bubble, but we live in this vortex of a, a blizzard of information when it comes to the border that most people think maybe 50,000 are coming through not and not 5 all. million. That didn't surprise me in the least. I love that we have that information now, though, because it just confirms what I think you probably suspected as well, is that nobody outside of Texas and Arizona and the border states and folks who watch Fox News really know what's going on. And that is why the Biden administration has been able to get away with this. Um, my The most frustrating thing that I've heard to date has been this Corinne Jean-Pierre has said it other Democrats have said it that if you say if you're a Republican or anybody who says that the border is open that you're now part of the problem because Uh. Mexican cartels can use that information to their advantage so four million people have tried to get into, into this country under President Biden's watch and it's our fault for noticing are you crazy I have an analogy for you. you ready for it yes it's like, for example, watching the Jet game last night, pointing out that their quarterback was terrible and booed off his so, And you say, I, I booed the Jet quarterback. He was terrible. You go, well, you're part of the problem. Yeah. I'm part of the problem. No, no. His incomplete pass is an interception and only three points was the problem. I wish I had something to say back. But I did, wish it, I had a sports did it, did it help sell the story? Yeah, so, it was really good. Yeah. I liked it. Although I don't like when teams, like when te- fans boo their own player. I don't like I think that's mean. Right. But it also is very New York and Philadelphia yes. because they have higher demands. When you go to the smaller market, it's very hard for them to boo the Packers, the Bills. Did the they guy almost deserve never... to be booed? Yeah. I mean, he has had a real troubling, troubled life with New York because he wouldn't take much responsibility. Comes off a little bit arrogant, been ineffective, got benched. The starter got hurt. He goes back and he got so bad, um, he actually was replaced by a former Canadian Football League backup quarterback that nobody knew, and they cheered him. Uh-huh. But back to the normal, yes. uh, what we were talking about. Lindsey right. Graham joined me last night on Laura Ingram. So he, I asked him about this, and he was fired up. Cut five. To be honest with you, life is pretty bad for most Americans right now. We went from energy independent to being dependent on energy. Uh, you know, oil gas prices are up. Uh, the border's broken. Uh, crime is rampant throughout our country. Uh, the bottom line is Americans are hurting. He's disconnected from their hurt. He doesn't understand what's going on to the border. He's never been to the border. 
He's a really a dangerously incompetent commander in chief. We withdrew from Afghanistan, and you see what's happening over there. But what I can't get over is how he can talk about an America that most people don't relate to. He's isolated. He's insulated. He's not being told the truth about how life is in America. And I'm hoping he will go to the border and find out that when it comes to being a border patrol agent and living on the border, uh, southern border, life is pretty miserable. I'm curious about what's going to happen on, I think it's January 9th, when the president is going to meet with the Mexican president in Mexico. I mean, so is he just going to fly over the border and not visit? <laughs> Maybe they're going to be talking about down. border. Yeah. They're well, going to be talking about border issues. Well, this I should believe. be the only issue, but instead they're going to talk about climate first. And that should be it. And we then think about fentanyl. You got to talk about that. Right. You got to talk about the cartels, how much control they have. How can we help you? Remember, they were writing this story that Donald Trump said, why can't we just act and just take out these cartels ourselves? How dare he invade another country and think about it? But that's exactly what I'm thinking. Uh, what can we do? We don't need to necessarily go in there with camouflage guys. Yeah. But there are some agents and some retired people that would go in and, and take them out for the Mexican that government. That really is a key difference between Biden and Trump is that Trump was an ideas guy and he didn't care what people said about him when it came to some unique or off the cuff ideas. If he felt a certain way, he wasn't going to let his administration sway him from how he feels. And then you have President Biden. And I don't know if I think you said, you know, you're not sure if you think it's true, but there's this book out uh, that's coming out about the Biden administration. Exactly. And he writes that in 2021, when this border crisis really started ramping up, that President Biden was furious and dropping F-bombs and just incensed at how the border policies that, by the way, he implemented were uh, creating this catastrophe. So why doesn't he do something about it? I mean, it's on Which him. makes me think These that it his is, this didn't happen. I mean, uh, you know what? I think it is true because, first of all, we have seen that angry side of Biden before. All the time. And the other thing is that we have we, – there are countless reports of – the his aides and the people around him telling him what to do and dictating and saying you can't do that you can make the speech here you can't do that his wife you know guiding him through certain things so I think he is very pliable. Well, think about this: how many times you've been asked about it? He, he skirts around it. My wife has. My wife's been down there. Oh yeah, I, I'm whatever. What is the difference? You know, when a president goes down, it's such a big footprint. It's a problem. Which is my such fearing a joke. is, Carly, is that the minute they go, it's over. So the first time he goes, everyone's like, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. He goes down there and he goes, goes to a That's port of true. entry. That's true. People keep on talking about him going. I mean, well, he, he's going to want to go. He, yeah. He's going, he, the bigger thing is him wanting to fix this issue. And I think the reason people are so hung up at, about him not going at all is because it is part of the United States of America. He is the president of all 50 states. And there is a huge raging fester of a crisis at part of it that he created. But it would be nice for him to address it. But the bigger thing is just even if he doesn't go at all, just address the issue in some capacity. Here's John Daniel last night. He was Owen Laura Ingram. I filled in for Laura Ingram. Uh, this is a pretty good soundbite. Just talked about in the, what this whole migrant crisis is meant. Cut eight. It's absolutely intentional, and it strains credulity to think that Biden was ever bothered by this. The day he came into, into office, he signed a raft of executive orders that repealed almost every one of Trump's yeah. border policies. Everything. The only things that were keeping the border under control, and now, and even started slow-walking Title 42. But the reality is now, it doesn't matter what happens to Title 42, because all these people you're seeing at the border... And all the way down the migration pipeline through Mexico into Central America, and as Jorge has said, all over the world, those people are on the move. They're not going to turn around now just because the Supreme Court stayed the end of Title 42. They're coming, 
Uh, and they're coming in numbers like we've never seen before. All right. Yeah. Oh, I have the numbers. Did Do I have them? Yes. Um, this is new. Uh, CBP told Griff Jenkins this. Just think about this. We are, I mean, fiscal year 2023 started on October 1st. Mm-hmm. So we are not far removed from that. Um, border encounters over half a million, 575,000, of which 177,000 were expelled. So those are the people that were expelled under Title 42. So even though we talk about Title 42 a lot, a majority of people are still being allowed into our country. Um, And then total migrant deaths is 86. I think that people can glaze over those numbers because they're so big. But um, if you look at the footage and the lines of people and then are reminded that every single one of those people, you feel bad for them because they just want a better life for themselves. Most of them. But yeah, uh, for most of them, of course. But Every single one of them does represent thousands of dollars to a murderous drug cartel that's controlling our southern border. That's another way of looking at it. And just look at it, too. The people that are doing it right, and we all know people, they'd marry somebody from another country where they met them in college, and they have to get married. they got to answer a series of questions. they got to go and meet with people to make sure it's not a manipulation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get married in order to get my visa. they got to pay a lot of fines and go through a lot of gymnastics and do a lot of waiting. And then all these people just say, well, what about them at the border? Well, they're in tough times. Well, I'm in a tough time. Yeah, and the, yeah, that's the truth. The big thing is really the drawbacks. First of all, well, the big thing for me is really a porous border, and you think about the people on the terror watch list. That's huge. That's number one. But then there are all these secondary consequences. Like um, Will was interviewing the guy that runs a hospital in Arizona, and in their $20 million, there's a $20 million bill uh, that the hospital is now facing because of all the free health care that they're giving illegal immigrants, and it's it's creating a situation where actual residents, U.S. citizens, can't go to the hospital because it's so full. Right. And I, I was talking to somebody who lives along the southern border recently who is training their daughters on how to use a gun, young teenage girls, because they live in a remote area and there's strangers crossing through their property. Right. Uh, the, another reason uh, it's been miserable to live in El Paso, McCallum, any of these uh, cities, and they're not. that's why they're not going blue. But I think Joe Biden goes, yeah, this looks really bad, but. I didn't. I kept the Senate, and uh, you know there, uh, there's still only a slim majority in the House. Yeah. I what what, what retribution no. has there been? Yeah. And, and these people that voted for Democrats that are doing these policies, and Senator Mark Kelly, who said I'm you know, I'm going to crack down on the border, the president's done a bad job there. I don't want him to visit. Where is he? Nowhere. We'll talk about Arizona when we get back, and so much more. Carly Shimkus is here, and you're there. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is my final weekly press conference, and some of you have been covering Congress for a long time. Others are new. Uh, All of you are guardians of democracy. You've heard me say again and again, if there were one freedom in the First Amendment, the freedom of, uh, of the press, that would be the one that protects and defends all the other freedoms. Uh, that is Nancy Pelosi. She's going to stay in Congress. You know, don't you think her husband's like, really? You know, um, I've got hit in the head with a hammer. Aww. You're in your 80s. Yes. I'm 3,000 miles away. I mean, if you're going to leave leadership, shouldn't you just leave? So two more <laughs> years. I think she just wanted to see if she could hold on to that speakership. Didn't work out. But I do remember when the reporter asked her, hey, listen, now that you're out of a leadership position, what's your future going to look like? And she just hated that. So she's talking about 
the journalist being guardians of democracy, yeah. she like jumped down that person's throat um, and did not answer the question. I think that she's probably going to stick it out for two more years. But it will be interesting to see how she handles the situation because Hakeem Jeffries is coming in. She's out. Shadow He's going to be the leader of the Democrats in the House. So, But she has all of this seniority. So is that going to be – it's sort of a tense situation. Will she Maybe. take on a mentorship role? Remember, James Clyburn didn't step aside. He's like, I'm staying. I don't know about these other people. Steny Hoyer, like, yeah, I don't care about the next generation. You rarely hear about Steny Hoyer. Right. But now he's gone. Yeah. Right. They didn't get along, I heard. Really? Right. He's the only Steny I've even heard that name. I like the name Steny. But what is it, what's the bigger name? I don't like know. Stenish? Mm. Stennis? This is a Googleable question. Could we, be just Steny. Right. Um, you have to fill time while I type. Really? What do yeah. I do? I mean, we could talk about how much we need to know more and make that the first thing. Yes. How about that? More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. Did the full name of Steny? Uh, Steny Hamilton Hoyer. So his first name actually at is Steny. Steny. But I love the name, the middle name Hamilton. He was born to be a politician. Right. His parents just kind of handpicked that job for him with that name. All right. We're going to find out the name of your child, too. No, no we're not. We're uh, not revealing that. Sorry. I got to ch- fire yeah, Pete. Pete told me to ask. Uh, <laughs> let's find out. Okay. We should find out this morning now. Yes. Demand for Lionel Messi and Mbappe memorabilia is exploding after the World Cup final that you did not see. I watched uh, it every second. Really? Oh, Absolutely. Why would you? Why would you give me those eyes? Because you don't like soccer. I do like soccer. Oh, you play? I watched play. so much of the world. Did Cup. you love it? I think this is a. Uh, is this because I'm a girl? Yes. You know, like, wow. A little Brian. bit also. But you've said in the past you don't really watch sports that much. That's not true. All right. We'll, uh, we'll talk. Remember when I went to the Women's World Cup in France? Yes. Fox sent me. You were so mad about that. I was. Yeah, I watched the World Cup. And I watch football because of my husband, but I care too, peripherally, that those are the two sports. But uh, can I tell the story? Okay, or is sorry, this about go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the no, auction officials, uh, they, they're, they're exploding, they're, their memorabilia is exploding. Mm-hmm. Auction officials telling TMZ Sports the demand for items rivaled that of Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Get this. Uh, the marketplace tell us that the following Argentina-France tilt on Saturday, items associated with Messi and Mbappe became the most sought-after items uh, per a rep. Searches for Messi rose 345%. Uh, Mbappe, uh, 363%. That is three times Jordan, four times LeBron, and five times Tom Brady. They are hot. Next. All right. Uh, From kids to adults, cinnamon reigns as the best flavor for the holidays, really? Conducted by one poll and commissioned by the makers of Spam. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The survey found food, uh, the survey found food played a huge role in holiday traditions for 83% of people. Uh, Flavors and spices that evoke holiday feelings and nostalgia and comfort the most was cinnamon, pumpkin, next, peppermint after that, cocoa. Cocoa came in fourth, and then nutmeg. I would say chocolate should. It's be a lot of spicy one. talk. Yeah, that is. I, spicy. I do think cinnamon does win, but why does spam? Is there cinnamon in spam? I think spam. How selfless of spam to do a study that didn't help them. I know. Well, I think spam came out with a pumpkin flavored spam. I, I, maybe that's oh, something to do that. Maybe that's kind of gross. Yeah. Next, Spain has passed a law allowing children 16 and over to change legally registered gender without medical supervision. Without medical supervision. What? Meanwhile, uh, the measure strongly backed by Spain's left wing. Party was approved to the lower house of parliament on Thursday by a 188 to 150 vote, which means that anyone over the age of 16 can change their legally registered gender without consulting with a doctor. How do you, how do you, do you just 
I have a lot of questions. Right. I mean, you can't just change your gender yourself. I mean, you could right. say by the power vested in me. Yeah. They're, I don't think they're gender. talking surgeries. Maybe they're just saying. I don't know. Should we leave it there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, some shoppers are slimming down on gr- Christmas groceries. Another 10% of people polled via one poll think they could make some changes to their Christmas food shopping routines to save some pennies as well. I don't like this one. I want to pick another one. Can okay, I get another ahead. swipe? Um, Aaron Rodgers loves washing dishes. This is not true. One of my favorite activities in the world. He said to Men's Health, should I read the quote? He said, it's one of my favorite activities in the world. I think meditation can get skewed at times. Like you have to go in some sort of trance and start oming or whatever. But I feel like I can go into a meditative stance doing dishes. I believe it. I like, so? do, I like doing dishes too. Well, I don't say I mind I don't like doing dishes. Them. Oh, yeah, they're drying and, and then putting them back. I hate that. But uh, sometimes I think he puts us on by saying bizarre things. Yeah. Next, two NFL teams contact, uh, contacted Rob Gronkowski after he tweeted out that he was bored. Saw that. You know, he's still young enough to play. But I do believe that if he does come back, it'll be with Tom Brady to try to save the Bucks season. Could you imagine if that happens? And they tried it again? I would know nothing about it because I don't watch sports. St- okay, go. Okay. Uh, best careers for 2023. Oh, this is an exciting one. I'll go from seven to one very quickly. The seventh best career is a pathologist, followed by an information security analyst. I'll do the top three. Information systems manager. Don't know what that is. Software engineer and nurse pre- practitioner is number one. Congratulations to all of you out there who have those jobs. And nurse practitioner is basically like doctors. Yeah, things, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curly Shimkus, this is the last time we worked it until the new year. <gasps> Are you ready for that? I am. Right. Have the best Christmas. You too. Happy New Year. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being there. Every being here, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. This hour, we're going to go inside Georgia politics and the nation politics as Doug Collins joins us. Remember, he was a former ranking member at the judiciary. He was also in the majority for a while. What do Republicans have to do to pick a speaker? Colonel uh, uh, Andy Milburn is standing by, too. Chief, Chief Executive Officer, uh, Officer at the Mozart Group uh, doing some great work in Ukraine and elsewhere. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is an FBI that we now know has interfered in two presidential elections. Okay, and if you want a reminder about just how much it interfered in 2016, go and take a look at some of those John Durham transcripts from the trials. Right, fighting back and failing to convince. The FBI firing back at Twitter files by saying they were just doing their jobs, focusing on foreign entities in their elections and making suggestion. Well, facts are stubborn things and they lead me down a different path. I will explain. Number two. $250 million bond. It is only secured by the parent's house worth $4 million. That makes zero sense. $4 million would be the actual bail amount. Right. $250 in bond is posted, but a $4 million house is collateral. Bailed out. Yes, crypto creep Sam is freed for now as the man who blew billions awaits his fate and his ex-girlfriend and co-founder pled guilty and have turned on him. Why do I get the feeling this Democratic mega donor will get a slap rather than the slammer? 
Number one. It is the big media that has conditioned the American people to not understand the complexities of what's happening at the border. You couple that with the Senate deal, which was passed basically with a twink and a nod, uh, allowing this program to continue. Yeah, that is Byron Donalds, an up-and-coming star on the right. Time is running out for Title 42, and the Supreme Court could make a decision today. Either way, when it's done, a massive wave is going to come streaming in from Mexico to overwhelm a border that's already overwhelmed. That's the Christmas present we can count on, and Joe Biden is solely responsible, even if he doesn't remember that he is. With me right now is Colonel Andy Milburn. This week we are talking about Ukraine thanks to the visit from President Zelensky, where he says, guys, just arm me and I will win. Colonel, welcome. What have you, first off, for our audience, what have you been able to do in the Ukraine with the Mozart Group? Hey, Brian. Uh, hey, Brian, first of all, can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Okay, cool. Yeah, so far it's going up and down here, as it is most areas of uh, Kiev. Yeah, so very, very quickly, Brian, the Mozart Group is an organization of mostly U.S., U.K., former special operators. Uh, we have some conventional guys, too, with um, uh, specialized skills. You know, the bottom line is the most important trait, we say, among the guys you bring in is emotional intelligence. And that is because what we're doing is, uh, is, is fairly hazardous. We're doing two things, Brian. We are training Ukrainian troops near to the front line. Uh, by that, I mean within artillery range. And you may say, why the hell do you, are you doing that? That is simply because if you were a Ukrainian brigade commander, you can't afford to take your guys off the line for more than four or five days. About 80% of the guys on the front line right now have received little to no training. You know, they are sustained purely by their courage, uh, their cohesion, their belief in each other. Uh, but obviously that's not enough. And that's why, A, the Mozart group exists. That's the first reason. The second is we evacuate civilians from frontline areas. And when I say that, I mean frontline areas. I mean, um, literally in direct fire range of, uh, of the Russians. We have been, uh, Russians have opened up on us a number of times, not just with artillery, but with machine gun fire. And I say that only, not out of bravado, but just to explain who the Mozart group is, why we exist, and, and our niche, um, essentially in Ukraine, are the most hazardous tasks when it comes to training Ukrainian soldiers or evacuating civilians. So, Hopefully that answered your question. Hey, hey, Colonel, both. what does it say about your opponent when Andy, uh, uh, Andy, what does it say about uh, the Russians that they're shooting at you guys and shooting at civilians? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's no, I, I don't think it's any secret to your listeners that uh, the the abuse of um, civilians is not just permitted; it's institutionalized within the Russian military. We see that within the you know the occupied areas that have been liberated, um, evidence of massacre or torture jails, what are called filtration prisons. We see it in the way the Russians treat their prisoners. We see it in the way that they, they target anything moving, anything moving, Brian, in the combat zone. We've been attacked by Russian fighters. We've been attacked numerous times through drone-directed artillery, so there can be no mistaking the fact that we are driving around in civilian vehicles. There can be no mistaking our mission. We don't carry weapons. We're simply pulling civilians out of bad areas. And you're calling me from Kiev? I am, yeah. Kiev is actually our R and R spot. It's actually where we come for a break. Although it may seem um, that may seem a little strange to anyone not living in Ukraine right now, because even Kiev, as you know, uh, the power is out for a lot of places for the majority of the time. 
Is there, you can imagine in Donbass. Right. Uh, sorry, go on. No, I just want to know if you can give uh, everyone, our audience, an idea of what it is like in Kiev. We hear the infrastructure has been targeted. We also hear that you guys keep on bringing it back up, or the, the, the Ukrainians do. So what is the state of the infrastructure there in the nation's capital? Well, the, the, uh, the Ukrainian electricians are unsung heroes of this war because the, the, one of the problems here, the electricity grid, is Soviet. It's a Soviet-era grid. And sadly, the only, when a transformer goes out, the only place it can be replaced from is Mother Russia, which, is, you know, is a, uh, no longer Mother Russia to the Ukrainians. So uh, it's a systemic problem. Um, I will tell you, though, that, uh, that here in Kiev right now, um, looking across the city, there is plenty, you know, plenty of electricity in, in plenty of areas. Everyone, everyone gets electricity for a portion of the day, and that is quite an achievement. Because, as you know, the attacks on infrastructure continue daily, cruise missiles and, uh, and drones. Um, the fact that the electricity, that power is still on to the extent that it is, is a, a remarkable testament to the resilience of uh, the Ukrainians. Uh, Colonel Andy Milburn is helping out uh, the people of Ukraine uh, try to win this war. I want you to hear Vladimir Zelensky. For, for one thing, were people in Kiev able to hear uh, President Zelensky address the joint session of Congress? Yes, yes, in most part, it was on Ukrainian television. What was, how was um, it received? Ukrainians are all very familiar. Well, there, there is, you know, I've I got to tell you that um, the Ukrainians are very grateful to the United States. Um, but, you, you know, instead of money, instead of uh, just tons and tons of defense articles, uh, they, they wish that the U.S. administration would just focus on those five things that Zelensky mentioned, or four things that he mentioned as being top priority in his speech. Those are long-range precision drones, you know, strike, uh, both strike and, and reconnaissance. Um, the Attackums missiles, which have a range of 180 uh, miles and can be fired from the HIMARS launcher. Um, main battle tanks, uh, S-16s. You know, all of these things um, uh, were, were, were requested. And, uh, I mean, unofficially within DOD, um, these requests have the support of uh, of u.s military um but for some reason the administration is still terrified of escalation which makes no sense we're either giving lethal wave or we're not giving lethal wave. if we're giving lethal wave it makes no sense to carefully meter out what we're giving so that the russians have time to adapt and then get ahead we either embrace ukrainian victory or we say you're on your own I want you to hear with general jack keen's assessment of what's going on right there at this state of the war he also does he also does the ISW, cut 26. This is what Putin is counting on. He, he submitted, he knows now, to a protracted war. There's no quick victory here. And he believes that he can outlast the Ukrainian people, the, the Europeans who he believes will eventually take a knee because economic energy security issues, and the lack of uh, political support in the United States will gradually over time evaporate. That is what Putin is counting on. He thinks that plays to his hand because he can keep providing people and equipment and ammunition to his forces. So can he do that? Is he outlasting the Ukrainians? Is he outlasting Europe? Yeah, Keane's 100% right, unfortunately, Brian. Uh, you know, time... Hey, listen, the Russians are... Uh, they're, they're not winning this war, but the longer that they can, they can simply delay, the, the greater chance they have of arriving at a stalemate, which, as Keane points out, is a de facto victory for Putin. 
So time is on the Russian side. The only way the United States and NATO can avoid a long, bloody, protracted war that's going to end up just, you know, basically defending freedom to the last drop of Ukrainian blood. Uh, the only way the United States can avoid that is to embrace the prospect of Ukrainian victory, go all in on these weapon systems, go all in on training, all right, um, using proxy forces or surrogate forces or PMCs, call them what you will, such as mine, who already have access in country, who have already proven that we're operating within the bounds of U.S. foreign policy. Embrace us. We have access. We can provide unlimited training where it is needed near the front line. Unless the U.S. government embraces all of these things and, and stops having kind of a very incoherent stutter step policy, then this war will last a very long time. So, yeah, as much as what about Europe? Uh, as I keep here Germany should be giving more. Uh, I know that Poland has done a lot, but not many people, France and company, not many people are coming across with their uh, fulfilling their pledges. Yeah, well, funny thing is, so, Brian, that all of those countries um, that you just mentioned have contributed niche systems that get the attention of the Ukrainian people. Um, with the Germans, it was uh, air defense systems. With the French, it was the uh, Caesar long, the you know the long-range self-propelled artillery, um, and the Poles, it was air defense systems too. So, um, you know, the bottom line it gets back to this: is look to see what the requirements are. Zelensky has stated very clearly what the requirements are. Meet those requirements. Don't worry about spending billions of dollars over and above that. Meet them requirements, uh, and and it's going to suit everyone's policy. Um, but but, uh, but, oh, but this, current, this oh. current kind of approach is incoherent, and the pressure, the energy pressures on France and Germany, as Keen points out, are simply going to grow. Yeah, unity within NATO right now, but it's fragile. Yeah, but my my only hope is that we never go. They never go back to buying anything from Russia again because it, it's not in the national interest, and it'll make us look like uh, fools for doing that. Well, Colonel, we need well, we need energy and energy independence yeah. within Europe. And, and the U.S. has been pushing that for a while. Germany simply has ignored it. This should be, this should be the final lesson for Germany, that, that Germany can no longer claim independence and yet be dependent on Russian energy. And they're burning because coal and wood. A, but, Andy, let me just get this. A, How would you characterize a, your opponent? Yeah. I keep hearing uh, that, that the Russians are ill-trained, they are not motivated, and they're running out of people. When, when you guys clash, when the Ukrainians clash with the Russians— how would, you, how would you say the Ukrainians do? Well, the Ukrainians do very well. Look, man for man, the, the Russians have nothing on the Ukrainian military, to include the Wagner Group, all right? And by the way, Wagner Group, the, uh, the rumors about them putting prisoners in the front line, no longer, they are not rumors. The first two assault waves, typically, called talking to the Ukrainians here, are, are composed of uh, are prisoners. But, but the point is, yeah, they, they're no match. Infantrymen to infantrymen, they're no match. But unfortunately, this war isn't all about infantry. It's about artillery. And artillery, the Russians have, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, quantity, uh, quality takes on a, uh, or rather quantity takes on a quality all of its own. The Russians have uh, just the, an unlimited amount of artillery ammunition. Um, I know we keep hearing optimistic rumors that they're running out. Uh, I would like anyone to, to, who really believes that to, to visit one of the towns in Donbass during a barrage and and uh, and, and, say that, seem that. and announce that same same point of view. Yeah. So the attackums. Um, so Andy, the attackums. I understand go a greater distance, and the U.S. evidently is yeah, concerned yeah. that they're going to start hitting Moscow with them. Do you think that's yeah, a legitimate yeah, concern? Yeah. You know, 
Ryan, no, no, come on. I mean, NATO already, of course, that's what the Ukrainians want to do. But, but, are the, but NATO already puts a proviso on the weapons that NATO is providing Ukraine, that they, do, they, are, they are not used to strike Russia. The United States is in exactly the same position and has all the leverage in the world to say, hey, here's, here's the deal, guys. You hit Russia and all deals off, man. You get nothing more. The Ukrainians know not to bite the hand that feeds them. Plus, they've got their own, they're developing their own long-range weapon systems, not in great quantity, uh, but enough to, uh, to take care of some of the infrastructure they're concerned about in Russia. Um, so why not put that proviso? And, and by the way, having, having a score or more, or, you know, relatively few HIMARS launches is nothing, nothing. You need at least one launcher per brigade on the front, perhaps even one per battalion. You know, when you start getting above 100 HIMARS launches, you start talking about attackers missiles, you start talking about long-range drones. Now you're talking about game-changing technology. Right. All right, now I get it. The main battle tank and the F-16, uh, they, come with, um, <laughs> they come with a lot of uh, maintenance uh, training requirements, uh, and they're not, they're not going to be fielded in a sufficient quantity to be game changers in time in this war. Um, but certainly, you know, I wouldn't put uh, looking ahead. And by the way, on that point, um, the Ukrainians are actually probably ahead of us because they're not looking at the sort of main battle tanks that we have. The M1A1, remember, it's late 80s, it's 80s technology. They're looking at the next generation, which are unmanned tanks. And the guys, these are, these are supremely um, uh, technologically savvy people, uh, and they are ahead of us in many ways. Uh, but so I just say, you know, arm them, literally arm them. I, I, I'm with they've you, Eddie, the, all in or got, all out. They've got, they've got the wealth, they've got the resilience, they've got, you know, they, and they've got the, the savvy uh, determination. Let's, let's give them what they need to win. Well, Colonel, you're doing great work. Churchill I'm, saying, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you're over there. I was going to quote Churchill, but it was before you were on my time. All right. Andy, uh, <laughs> Andy uh, Milburn, Chief Executive Officer at Mozart Group, retired Marine Corps 2019, Deputy Commander of Special Ops. Uh, Command Center, the headquarters for all U.S. special operations in the Middle East. Uh, A rich background, putting all your skills for the Ukrainians. Colonel, hope people are listening. Uh, I wish people uh, at this administration would go all in. Colonel, thank you so much. Yeah, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Andy Milburn 8, Andy Milburn 8. Um, And thanks very much to you, Brian, and your listeners. Keep up the uh, great work for the cause. You got it, uh, Colonel. Thank you. When we come back, your calls, and then at the bottom of the hour, we'll go uh, inside the Republican Party, their mission, with Doug Collins, former Georgia congressman. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to Bruce listening on WSB in New York. Hey, Bruce. Hey, I love your show. I listen to it almost every day. It's one thank of the you. best. Appreciate it. Give me 60, 60 seconds, please, please. Hurry up. Um, thank you. So we're talking about the SBF, Sam Bagman fried Everybody knows. And the, and the crap that went on there. And we've got to remember one thing. Southern District of New York will never hurt any Democrat at all, serious liberal Democrat. They will only hurt conservatives, Republicans, Trump people, Trump-related stuff. So 
He's going to get off really light. It's pretty obvious because he's protecting his uh, people. I get that. We all get that. However, two things. One, even if he's convicted and slap on the wrist, goes yeah. to jail for six months or less or whatever. Bruce said there's no way. He's got to go more than six months. I think it's, it's more maybe if it's less than 20 years, I'd be shocked. But still, that's easy. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Things are getting better. COVID no longer controls our lives. Our kids are back in school. People are back to work. In fact, more people are working than ever before. Americans are building again, innovating again, dreaming again. That's Joe Biden's vision of America. you got to be a true leader as chief executive. I get it. But is it accurate? Doug Collins in studio, ranking member of the U.S. Judiciary Committee at one point, author of The Clock and the Calendar, a front row look at the Democrats' obsession with Donald Trump, which still exists today, obviously, if you watch the other channels. Uh, my quad box is here. Congressman, great to see you again. Good to see you, too. Brian. You're going to be doing outnumbered shortly, right? Morning, 12 o'clock. Radio. So uh, up from Georgia <laughs> in, in this big uh, snow snownami, whatever it is. But first off, that's the picture that President Biden paints. Is it accurate? No, it's not. It, 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 look, there's nothing about the picture that Biden paints about anything that's accurate. It's sort of this, this what they build up to him to keep him going. And if you look behind the scenes, I mean, he, he doesn't acknowledge a border. He doesn't acknowledge the inflation. His own White House doesn't you know, acknowledge what most people are feeling, which they saw in the election. And for him to just come out and it was the problematic part. It's one thing to be to fight with each other. It's one thing to really fight passionately. But then to come back and, and almost say, well, oh, well, you know, we've got to all get together. Well, that's, you know, what you're, you, you spent six months telling everybody. MAGA Republicans, yeah. MAGA extremists. That you're really? terrible. Yeah, how do you do that? Right. In fact, here's, here's what exactly what you're saying. Cut 28. Our politics has gotten so angry, so mean, so partisan. And too often we see each other as enemies, not as neighbors. As Democrats and Republicans, not as fellow Americans. Right. He's always so nice, and we take him wrong when he just says those MAGA extremists and MAGA Republicans and ultra-MAGA whatever he wants to say. Well, and he gives the red speech. You know, don't forget the Philadelphia red speech. I mean, when he's standing up on the podium in, uh, early this year, and it was just – it. Was, I mean, it was like America, doom and gloom. Get in your bunkers and hide because these Republicans are going to come and take your families, take your wives, and do everything else. And, and then he expects us just to all of a sudden say, oh, well, let's just work with you. There is a problem in our country of this divisive, but you can have divisive discussion. I've got an op-ed his own Fox Today about criminal justice reform. You can do it together, but you've got to say, look, we're going to disagree. Let's put that aside and then find ways to work. But simply saying the other right side is wrong, come to me, is the problem. Jim Crow 2.0, is yeah, there a exactly. more divisive statement that you could possibly <laughs> make as president? Here's the problem. With mainstream media, you and I say Jim Crow 2.0, we would be you know, canceled, everything else. They say it, don't get fact-checked for it, and everybody just believes it to be true. But yet you can go to Georgia, look at the elections we just had, the voter turnout, the, the – I mean, it was high as it has been among – especially among minorities and others. And yet we still get blamed for voter suppression. And all those corporations, uh, was it uh, Delta? Oh, yeah. Uh, Delta, Coca-Cola, Major League Baseball – that said, you know, I don't know how many movies you didn't get because of this yep. uh, in theaters. And now we know that they wouldn't pass out online because they couldn't get water. Yeah, no, no, that was shockingly enough. Right. right. There was some, and, and, so, and they, it, so they did, they hydrated up before they Here's went. you an interesting part. One, the, the reaction to that voter law was the most 
elitist thing you've ever seen. It basically said people are too stupid to vote. That was basically what the Democrats' argument where they just don't want to make it. But the interesting part was is because of the changes put in last year in SB 202, Fulton County, DeKalb County, and others got votes in quicker than they have ever, ever got their votes in. We were seeing the votes. So it wasn't this, let's hold off and see. Now, they were later because they just had more, but their early votes were counted before 9 o'clock. You knew what the, the numbers was. The, the sad part, though, is for me watching it, I could see when those numbers come in, I knew it was going to be a hard night for Herschel Walker. But the numbers were in. We wasn't guessing. That's what SB202 did. All right. Is Warnock that good? It so was, they, they're talking about him. They said, if Warnock wins the runoff, don't be surprised if he's mentioned as a presidential candidate if Biden isn't. I'm so sick of this country deciding that they want a presidential candidate based on one speech or one good piece of legislation. We've seen it since Obama, and it comes through. They win one election. Oh, they're the next big thing. I mean, last year, Glenn Youngkin wins Virginia. He's going to be the next face of the Republican Party. And, and Warnock's the same way. But look, Warnock is a extreme liberal. He got very fortunate in a race in which Georgia – you know, frankly, the Walker campaign never made the case to get Walker past that senatorial look. Warnock benefited from that. But if you look at the rest of Georgia, everything else in Georgia went, you know, red by 4 to 5%. So if you are the Republicans right now, would you put Ronna McDaniel back in charge? I think it's time. I think it's always a good time for change. And I think that's the thing that needs to be discussed. So, I mean, you know, she's been doing it for a while. Is there new ideas? We've had some rough election cycles. We've had some successes, mainly a few in the House and some of those. But, I mean, what would be wrong with a change right now? And I, I mean, I'm not personally nothing against Ronna, but we, we need – Republicans have got to do two things. We've got to raise money better. We've got to have better uh, off-year demographics in which we're actually putting our email list. We're actually putting our demographics, our bases, getting our precinct captains, doing exactly what the Democrats are doing, making sure we're getting ready for early voting. Those are the kind of things I want to see out of a party. I don't want to see parties all across the country being the purest, saying, I like this congressman, I don't like this one. So even President Trump told Breitbart, uh, go, we got to have a, a plan when it comes to early voting. You guys were reluctant to even buy into it, hoping it would go away, yeah. now, feeling it was wrong. Yeah. Now, early voting, I've always been, I've always voted early. You know, and, and, and the problem we got into is when there became a question in people's minds was, you know, is my vote going to count? Is my vote going to count? We've seen it work. I mean, look, you've seen it in Florida. You see it in other places. So it does work. The problem we've got to get out of, and we saw it actually transpire in Arizona and maybe some other states, if you wait till the day of, think about everything that could happen the day of. You get, you get sick. Your kids get sick. Your dog dies. You know, you're in a wreck. You can't make it to the polls. That's what we got to We I, I've become convinced Republicans have got to do everything that's legal from, you know, if, if you've got a ballot harvesting state, then you, we better be out ballot harvesting, you know, whatever that term is. You know, you know if we're out early voting, same use whatever is there. That we've got to use. We've been too purist in this thing. So we don't want to do that. No, it's time to it's do over. exactly what the others do. All right. So Doug Collins, our guest, uh, Congressman, as I'm pretty sure you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy can't get these five or six Republicans to budge. Whether it's Andy Biggs, Congressman Good, whether it's uh, Matt Gates, mm-hmm. they just don't want to. They uh, and Matt Gates wrote an editorial essentially saying, he, "Well, Kevin McCarthy doesn't stand for anything." Mm-hmm. So, what would Doug Collins do? I think Kevin right now has a problem. And he, I thought if by now, you and I had talked earlier in the month about this, and, and I said by now, in my mind, if he hadn't got it fixed by now, I'm not sure he's going to get it fixed. I believe what they're wanting is simply Kevin not to get it. And then it's not really matter who comes next. Now, and this is an interesting point. Remember back when Kevin did not get to be Speaker First four, time. five, six years? They didn't have a secondary choice then. All of a sudden, Paul Ryan appeared as a consensus and nobody cared. 
you're probably going to, unless something really changes, you're going to see that. There's more than just the five. That's the, uh, the underlying notion that I'm getting from talking to people. There's more than just the five. So Kevin has a distinct problem. He won't win. And my question is, if he carries this to the floor and loses, now they're not going to be a Democratic speaker. Let's get that out of the notion. Let's get that fear factor out of the way. They will not be a Democrat speaker. But if they can't get one on the first ballot, then you'll see what happens, and they'll go to whoever name gets popped up the next, and then you'll see it. I just believe that they're wanting to say, hey, we want a different direction. But I will also tell you, I've talked to about you know, a number of other folks who represent 60%, 80% of the rest of the conference. This is going to play very difficult in the conference. What will play? They're upset. I mean, other members who are saying, like, we got other things we need to be doing, like populating committees, naming committee yeah. chairs. They, they, the rest of the conference is really upset. But there's, no, again, when you're in a What did majority, you do wrong? That I didn't do everything that people, some people said that he should. And so now I have a voting card, and I can determine that you didn't do everything I wanted you to do, whether it would have worked or not. Here was the scary part about this omnibus went through. Because Republicans, in my mind, didn't do the stuff earlier. We've not fixed the system early. We tried to then all of a sudden complain about it at the end and said, well, if we just shut the government down, we'll get what we want. No, you won't. We've tried this for eight years, Brian. I've been in there. I've been in those rooms. The, when we shut down the government for 16 days in 2013, I was a part of my first year in Congress, Eric Cantor made a uh, really prescient thought. He said, at the very start, of it, he said, look, I'll go along with this. He said, but more than likely, we're going to get at what we have now or worse. Guess what? 16 days later, we basically got as is or worse because we got some who don't understand. You get some, but you're not going to get it all. We, I still don't understand that. I mean, if you could be, if you're extreme right or extreme left, you're never going to be happy. Right. And exactly. AOC could never be a speaker, right? <laughs> right. And Matt Gates could never be a speaker. No. So at what point do you just say, I'm in a body? It's not about me. I'm in a body, especially a body that I'm on the same team as. What's better for that team? Or am I going to sit there and try to get attention on me and think Kevin McCarthy doesn't stand for anything? Well, I need a consolidator. Actually, if you have, a, if you have an extreme ideology, it would actually be a hindrance as a speaker, I imagine. Well, you, one, you wouldn't be there as speaker, and it would be a problem. And I think this is what – again, we've got to get back to the point – the old Reagan philosophy, if I get 80% of what I want, then I'm going to get it, and I'll come back later But did it. you really you realize that? Yes, very much You were so. as a conservative yeah, as anybody. As a conservative. And look, and I voted uh, I voted for omnibus. I voted against omnibus, and, and I've been a part of that. The problem is, though, is one of the things that I think sometimes the more conservative part of our caucus in, in the House, they want to see us put forth our best effort first. And many times they felt like we didn't put our, you know, like our best budget. So what the Democrats did. Remember, the Democrats passed appropriation bills out of the House with Nancy Pelosi that were far more liberal than anything that's gotten finished. But they at least made that statement knowing that the Senate was going to back on it. Then you have the confrontation and you have the, the, the you know, conciliation between the House and the Senate and then come out with something at work. If you don't have that mindset, here's the problem, and I'll tell it to any member of Congress, Democrat or Republican, if you can't get 218 votes on your idea, then you're simply making speeches. So when you have a six-person majority, and this is what is explained to me, I asked one of the 18, why did you vote for the omnibus bill? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And they said, number one, we got more in defense than we even wanted, like that we expected. So then number two, uh, we wanted to fund the Ukraine war. And we feel as though if it went to the House with that slim majority, there was too many Republicans that weren't going to fund it. Yeah. And they would have had to ask Democrats all want to fund it for, uh, to do it. And they said, yeah, at, at a pound of flesh. And, and they would have extorted the Other Republicans things. to do it. Yep. So they said – it's better than most, probably better than we're going to get. And they saw what well, that's one of the 18 told me. 
Well, one of the 18, I said, I want to know where the one of those 18 were for the last 12 months when appropriations bill should have been passed out of the Senate instead of sitting on their hands till the end to get whatever. Well, they're not chairman. But again, though, it's fine. This is part of the broken process, okay, with the Democrats in the Senate right now. She were not passing any of these. But I, I saw no large speeches on the floor by any appropriations members from the Republican Party. I saw nothing to try and force those bills through. It just it just sat there so they could get what they want. Look, Brian, America needs to understand, this is what leadership wants. This is, At the end of the day— Because they get exactly what they want. They do. The eight, the eight or nine top leaders put in a room, this is what they do. I have a problem, though, with some of the 18 and what they said about the, the Ukraine. Ukraine put it aside. The defense spending. Explain to me. Give me good reason. I'm in the military. I've been there for 21, 20 years, almost 21. Explain to me why we put more than even what the administration asked for into military. Explain to me why in a budget situation we got you. You seriously have to look at all that we spend. Why were we? Well, you know why. Because you have a Democratic administration doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't prioritize defense. Yeah. But, and so you're Republicans and you go, I, I'm, I want more than that. You go, yeah, I'll give it to you. Like, by the way, it's Americans' yeah. defense. The fact that oh. Republicans have to go to battle for a defense program for the country is nuts. But here's the problem. I've not seen a Republican say that what the, the, the administration, the military put forward, the Pentagon put forward, that we needed to up it that much more except for funds and priorities. Again, these are the military heads who put this budget forward. They're the ones saying, here's what I've got. And I think there's a balance that needs to be struck. And look, I'm as, look, I'm in the military. I know what we need. But at the same point in time, I, what we've got a lot, though, and frankly, and this is a problem, we've got too many people in Congress who've never served in the military, and they don't feel like they can vote against the military. And we need smart spending in our military, better equipment, better guns. Do it a smart way instead of just simply saying we're going to oh, increase yeah. the budget. Well, obviously, didn't they do all these studies that talk about all the waste and no one ever does anything with exactly. the studies? I mean, what if you worked on Simpson Bowles? Yeah. What if you gave up your time, you got out of retirement, you work in this for years, and it's a painstaking process. They go, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. Barack Obama, you told him to do it. He goes, yeah, I know I couldn't do it. Yeah. What do you mean you couldn't do it? That was a way to get politics out of it and do what's best for the country and blame Simpson Bowles. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going by Simpson Bowles. Exactly. So when we come back, I want to talk to you about the FBI, what we've discovered already, thanks to Elon Musk, what the FBI said yesterday, and now the, the bottom line is we know too much. And you can't explain it away. I, but I'm very curious to see what you think, Doug, because you've seen stuff I never will. And, plus, you were all over the Mueller report. And before it was actually released, you know it was oh, in yeah. it. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's very disappointing to see the FBI continue in its downward spiral. What they called misinformation was their own words. What we have (laughs) revealed from the Twitter dump is their own words, their own emails. Uh, Not to mention the whistleblowers have come forward and told us additional information that the public will be hearing very soon. Uh, and what they call, who they call conspiracy theorists are conservatives in the media and members of Congress. So the FBI has a huge problem. It's only getting worse. And their confidence level, not only among uh, Republicans in Congress, but among the public, is at an all-time low. And that is James Comer is going to be chairman of Oversight shortly, as soon as they get a speaker and get everything un- uh, said in the first week of January. Doug Collins with us, former congressman from uh, a former congressman from Georgia. And what Comer's talking about is the FBI blasted back after these releases of all these Twitter exchanges and said 
The correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than examples of our traditional, longstanding, and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements, which involve numerous companies over multiple sectors and industries. As evidenced in the correspondence, the FBI provides critical information to the private sector in an effort to allow them to protect themselves. The men and women of the FBI work every day to protect America. It's unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation. What's your reaction, Doug Collins? It, 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 there's a wholesale change starting with Chris Ray at the top needs to change. I've said this for almost three years now. I've known Chris Ray when I was in Congress, worked with him, and, and hoped that he would do better. He's not. FBI is just infected with this. Explain to me why the FBI is involving themselves in what is basically misinformation or disinformation. They determine, you know, we don't have to go back to the Biden administration starting a ministry of disinformation. We already have it. And it's called the FBI because they were looking at the election and stuff. They were looking at other things saying, hey, you might need to take this account down. You might need a to lot of them. And a lot of them have like a handful of followers. Exactly. Like what are we wasting time on this? And, and, and again, this is the problem. But, we, but it's not just now. This is just another reflection of what we have seen for the past six to seven years starting back in the – uh, Comey, Strzok, McKay, Baker, when Baker, by the way, was at the, before he went to Twitter, you know, this has just been continuing on. The The focus of the FBI is not where it should have been. So I'll take the FBI side. They say, listen, 2016, we feel the, the Russians or foreign entities played a role in the election. It was a small part, but they did something. They gave, I know Michael Moore came out and said, you know, a bot, a Russian bot came out and they had a demonstration in front of Trump Tower. It turns out that was just the Russians putting yep. something out there. No one even ran it. But it didn't change the election. Small amount of purchases in Facebook, so we know it didn't change it. You read the Mueller report. So they said, we don't want foreigners into our election. We don't want China getting in there trying to foment racial unrest. When the George Floyd riots, it took anything to start to divide us. We don't want, for example, China to get a campaign, a a subtle campaign, to not have voter turnout because it's not going to be worth it or it's going to be fixed. I get it. So you want – so the FBI says, okay, I'll, I'll handle that. I'll handle that by looking over the shoulder of Twitter, Facebook, yep. Google, uh, Snapchat, and everything else. Isn't that – who else would you want to look over? Okay, my question is, though, is they, they took American accounts. They took real people's accounts and banned those. The bots, you can figure out where they're coming from. Okay, you can. You, and, and so my question is, is all right, that's fine, FBI. Which, by the way, they should be looking at threats on our banking systems here in New York City. These are, that's all part of what we look at as well. But they're looking at these information issues and coming forward. Misinformation. Misinformation, as they call it. But the question is, is okay, if you're going to deal with the bots, that's one thing. But when you're taking down accounts – and, and, and through in those, that's of Americans that you say, what's the proper step? FBI is in, interfering in elections, interfering in the day-to-day process of social media. I have news for you, Doug Collins. <laughs> they say they're going to do the same thing in 2024. Oh, yeah. The FBI says, stop the conspiracy theorists. This is our job. We're doing it. And when they retire, they go to the meta, eight CIA guys, eight in the FBI, <laughs> and they just rotate right through. Revolving door. See you on Outnumbered at noon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Brian. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country. Heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I will say that New York, despite all the problems it's having with crime and 
uh, the overrunning with illegal immigrants and everything. During Christmas, I think it's probably the best city in the country uh, in terms of what they do, how they step it up, what happens on Madison Avenue, what's got on, on Herald Square, and it's just pretty impressive. Even today, and also, for two years, nothing's been happening. Remember, the pandemic at one point, you're not allowed to stop and look at the tree. You could walk by the tree. That's how insane this was. You talk about misinformation, we'd later find out you can't get it outside, but you had to keep walking, don't stand, and look at an evergreen. Ah. Tyrus is coming at the bottom of the hour. Shannon Bream, in a matter of moments, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is an FBI that we now know has interfered in two presidential elections. Okay, and if you want a reminder about just how much it interfered in 2016, go and take a look at some of those John Durham transcripts from the trials. Uh, That was Kim Strassel, of course, fighting back. Failing to convince uh, the FBI is trying to sing their song and tell us that they were doing everything on the up and up. But we know different. We looked at the Twitter files. We have our own decisions. We'll see if Shannon wants to talk about that. Number two. $250 million bond. It is only secured by the parent's house worth $4 million. That makes zero sense. $4 million would be the actual bail amount. That is crazy. Dagan McDowell weighed in. Bailed out. Yes, crypto creep Sam is freed for now as the man who blew billions awaits his fate. His ex-girlfriend has flipped. The co-founder has flipped. They've admitted their guilt for a deal. This guy is probably going to be made out to be the bad guy in this, like we all know he is. But will he get a slap on the wrist or get the slammer? Number one. It is the big media that has conditioned the American people to not understand the complexities of what's happening at the border. You couple that with the Senate deal, which was passed basically with a twink and a nod, uh, allowing this program to continue. Byron Donalds, of course, time is running out on Title 42 and a massive wave is building in Mexico. It will overwhelm the border even more than they're overwhelmed now. That's America's that's America's Christmas present. And more and more experts, more and more experts conclude that Biden let four, four million people in intentionally. We'll see if Shannon feels the same way. Shannon, first off, I've gotten news that it's your birthday. And I'd like to uh, say be one of the million people that say happy birthday. What a year you've had and a better year to come. Friend, what did you get me? And did you give me the same present for Christmas and birthday, or did you do the classy thing? And I'm, I'm separate presents are coming. Two separate uh, presents uh, will arrive. I paid the extra money to have it delivered on Christmas Day. Love it. Worth right. every penny. Right. And it's, my big thing is which one of my books to give you. And every time it's a well, surprise. You, I've got them all signed and framed. So, you know, unless there's another one coming out, could you send me an early copy? You know what? I'll send you the original trail. I'll give you my original thoughts. Hey, there's not priceless. You know what I'm saying? You can't put a price tag on that. So, Shannon, so much to talk about. What do you first off, if your show was right today, what do you you lead with? Oh, my gosh. There is so much stuff from SBF to, you know, I'm standing by waiting for the Supreme Court to make a decision on Title 42. We've got the omnibus that, you know, they squeak it across the finish line. Maybe today the House does. But there's plenty of foreign policy stuff going on, too, and, and many fights that are looming in the new year about the House Speaker and Everything else. So um, luckily, we're going to have that all covered for you on Sunday. All right. That'll be good. Uh, First off, uh, on President Zelensky's speech, uh, I thought it was excellent. I had no problem with what he was wearing. You're in Washington. You saw that Matt Gates was sitting. You saw that Lauren Boebert was sitting. 
and I imagine a lot of empty Republican seats. Is this party 50-50 divided, do you say? I don't know if it's 50-50, but there's definitely a vocal growing group who say, listen, we're not against this, but we want more transparency. There have been um, a number of measures, including one House resolution that was offered up that said, we just want an audit and an accounting of where the money's going because it's U.S. taxpayer dollars. It got blocked in the committee, didn't even make it out of committee, and it was a strictly party line vote. Every Democrat voted no on the transparency measure. So it's creating a lot of um, you know venom on both sides for people who say, we want to help our own country. We know that we have to be in this fight to make sure that democracy and free people stay free, that you can't just have Putin showing up and taking over sections section right. of the country. But we just want to know an accounting of where this money is going to go and what the end game plan is. Right. Well, you know the end game plan. It's uh, Vladimir Putin invades a country. If you don't really say let's have peace. So you need two people. He's got to be losing in order to be forced to the table. You just wonder how stable he'd be. I mean, can you imagine losing sixty to 80000 maybe more, mm. in a war that you started for no reason in nine months? He finally admitted this week that it's a war. Do you think that's significant? Because he said, it, uh, what do you call it, an operation? Right. And, and these phony votes that they had in some of these territories, so now then his language was, we have to defend Russian territories. Well, when you have fake votes and basically you know, force people to the polls at gunpoint and watch how they vote, and then say there was a referendum, and then say, well, we have to defend these territories. And remember, he said, when he was pressed on the issue of nuclear, he kept saying, well, we have to defend our territories. Well, if you just take big sections of a country and then say, well, that's our territory, it's a very disastrous circular bit of reasoning. So for him to actually say now it's a war, I think, um, is significant. Remember the first few days that we were covering this. And for us, um, when I was doing Fox News at night, it would be morning that was dawning there in Ukraine. We would have, you know, members of the parliament Skyping into us from their hiding places. And three or four days in, they were like, this is it. This is the night we hold. Putin says he's going to destroy the entire country and take us over in three or four days. And here we are nine, ten months later with a lot of bloodshed on both sides and no end in sight. I have a recommendation for, we had a great guest with the Mozart Group, who's over there training uh, new um, Ukrainian forces, Andy Milburn, and he's a colonel in the Marines, Special Forces uh, as well. And he said that basically America is this pace in which we're sending stuff over and the advanced systems that we're sending over is extending the pain. So stuff they wouldn't do, they're now doing, but it's coming over too slow and there's not enough of it. So that's going to be one of the stories. they, They need us so they can't be that critical but you have a guy, you have an American over there, and you see, he says, listen, what you're doing to these people is just wrong. Let them protect themselves. If you're going to bring a missile system in, you should have done it months ago. And if you're going to do it, it's got to be more than one. That's the sub-story to this. Well, and the thing is, there are so many voices now saying we were behind. We knew for months that Putin was saber-rattling over this, and it's hard to know with him because he does this stuff all the time. But clearly there were signs that they were amassing troops near the borders, and they really meant it. Now you have that same argument that people are having over China and Taiwan, saying we are devoting so many resources, money, armaments, all these things to Ukraine because we're trying to help the good people who have stepped up to the challenge more than and are defending their own land. But you hear a number of members on Capitol Hill saying – we should be doing the early positioning for Taiwan. This is the lesson we should learn from yep. Ukraine, and yet we don't have the resources because of our commitments there. Well, we do have more that we could be giving. Uh, we have ordered, and we okay if we just haven't delivered it. So we'll see. I want to go over to something else that I, I think requires some subtlety. The FBI and the Twitter files. The Twitter files is being ignored uh, for most outlets, and I can't believe it. Um, you know, they, uh, Matt Taibbi, you have Barry Weiss, 
Michael Schnellenberger. He's not. They're not right wing extremists. It's hard to marginalize. But the FBI is blasting back at the eighth tranche when people talk about the connection and the oversight that Twitter is giving was getting from the FBI and most likely Meta too. And the FBI blasted back, uh, saying this. The FBI is responding to Twitter file revealing that the agency regularly contacts employees at social media just to notify them about the accounts that may constitute violations of a company policy. He also condemned what they say as conspiracy theorists who are giving misinformation to the public about what the FBI was doing. I don't know. Michael uh, Schnellenberger, who's been in there every step of the way, he weighed in with me uh, last night. I filled in uh, for Laura Ingram, and he had a different take about what he's seen when he was there. Cut 15. I think what was so threatening about what we did is that we just presented a series of facts. Uh, We weren't theorizing at all. I wrote uh, the Twitter files part seven, and I just laid out the pattern of information, some of which we did know before, but some of which we didn't. We did know that the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop in December of 2019. We knew that the federal authorities, the FBI, was raising the alarm about Russian interference in the 2020 elections. We now know that they were specifically raising concerns around a Hunter Biden-related leak in October before the elections. We also saw the Aspen Institute was involved in raising the alarm. And I think most significantly, we saw former FBI general counsel, who had become Twitter's deputy general counsel, making the strongest argument by far of any Twitter employees for censoring Hunter Biden's laptop and ultimately discrediting it, in the, discrediting it in the minds of many voters, including myself, who did not take it very seriously when the New York Post reported on it in mid-October 2020. As Matt Taibbi would tell, uh, would say in a podcast, he said, I don't understand at what point this is not a big story to any journalist. Someone brings you into Twitter and said, check out this communications between the FBI and this entity. And at any level, this has been what we've been always been told to be a big story Regardless of how it turns out, he doesn't understand the lack of curiosity at CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, and elsewhere. And the thing is, you should be concerned on any side of this conversation. Anytime the government is directing a private entity and how to potentially censor the speech of private citizens, you should care if you're on the left or the right. It's just like with anything that goes on on Capitol Hill or any of these agencies. It can be turned around and used for your side, quote unquote, if you're happy how it's being used against the other side. And I'm sorry, when you have um, documented just factual information that says there were weekly meetings between Twitter, um, you know, top operatives and officials and DHS, FBI, DNI, That should raise some questions for people when they're telling and flagging outside information internally to a company to say, like, yeah, you might want to take this down. That is very strange, and you should care no matter where you are on the political spectrum. And it also raises this issue then if it's government action, if it's state action that's censoring private speech because – you know, if it's if you're directing a private company, listen, if you're calling and saying like, hey, these terrorists are posting pictures of people being beheaded, I think we can all agree, all right, that's a problem. But if it's a viewpoint discrimination or a tag based on the content that you don't like, not that it's violent or suggesting violence, I mean, that's a totally different story. But I agree. Much of the media just seems completely asleep at the wheel on this one. So uh, today we find out, from what we know, there are a ton of CIA and FBI retired agents at Facebook and Twitter. The CIA, I think, has this guy Chris Roser, uh, uh, Hagnan Barnett, Brian Westband. They have a list of this, Corey Ponder. There's CIA guys working at Facebook, okay? 
And then you have in Twitter eight full-time employees, including the now fired James Baker. So there's essentially a slack group of FBI agents who FBI agents who are active prefer to deal with, I imagine, who set up, I think, a concerning pipeline between the two. Now, I know when you get when you stop being a cop, you got to get into another career, usually about 40 yeah. years old. I know the same thing with agents. After 20 years, you get full benefits. You want to start doing something else and maybe get really paid for your expertise. But I'm a little concerned about that. Well, you make a good point. It's just like, you know, people who finish out the military or whatever. I mean, you do. You got to go find a private sector job probably at that point. So I don't fault anybody for that. The problem is when there has been an appearance that you're trying to hide what has been done in the past, what they're doing now could be completely above board, a great job, a great private, you know, enterprise that they're now involved with. But when we see things bubble up, like we've seen in all of these Twitter releases, then people ask questions and then they're suspicious because you've told them one thing, Jack comes to Capitol Hill and says there's no such thing as shadow banning of conservatives. And then one of the first releases is, well, visibility filter. Okay, call it what you want, but people are going to be skeptical. No question. Shannon, have you decided who's going to be on your show? I have. We have all kinds of special holiday things going on. So we've got amazing panelists, David Avella, Dana Perino, and Howie Kurtz are going to be with us for all of the news of the day, domestic and international, as we break down the omnibus, the Twitter, all of it. Um, but then we have special conversations also with your buddy, Cardinal Dolan, um, musician, Grammy Award winner, Michael W. Smith. We joined him on his concert tour. And Moral Wooster, who is the guy behind Reese Across America, where they lay hundreds of thousands of wreaths on veterans, um, headstones and tombs all all across this country, and they do it internationally, too. He's the most humble guy I've ever met, and he tells us his story. So we hope to see you Christmas morning. We'll be live. I'll be watching. Shannon Bream, happy birthday. Enjoy the day. Congratulations on all your success. You certainly deserve it. You too, my friend. Hardest working man in the business. Uh, love the opportunities. Thanks, Shannon. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 That's Fox News Sunday, by the way. Make sure you watch. Check your listings. And then Tyrus at the bottom of the hour. Tyrus got some big announcements about appearances that you just have to see. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, hey welcome back, everybody. Got a packed, uh, packed line, so let's get to it. Anthony, you're on the Fox app listening on Long Island. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good. What's um, on your mind today? Just wanted to say it's no longer a good excuse to get military funding and give the Democrats everything they want, which keeps the country lurching leftward. And all we get is military funding. They do this every time. The bill not only doesn't have extra money for border security, you can't use the money for border security. It's not acceptable. These 18 Republican senators, they don't even represent the voters. It's horrible. This is just this can't go on. What good are they in the Senate? What good are the Republicans in the Senate? I hear you. Uh, I, they, they said that for defense spending, it should be an American thing, not a Republican thing. But they play it every time. Uh, Anthony, I understand the frustration. Let's see. Let's see what happens. They're online to take the Senate back. They want. They said they're not going to do it again. They got to get through committees, and then they'll have a chance to truly debate it. We'll see if someone has the courage to do that. Hal, listening on Long Island. Hey, Hal. Hey, hey, Brian. Great show. Love you. Um, I just have to be upfront and say I am a Trump supporter, 
but I, I do want to see more going into Ukraine here. We really got to rally for this, Brian, uh, including fighter jets. I say we go in to go in to win it or, or nothing. Second point. And I you like don't mean us this. go in. You mean just arm them, right? Arm them, whatever they need. Let's get this done. Absolutely. That should be the goal of 2023. Second point I'd like to mention is the Twitter thing. Mitch McConnell, where is he on this? He's supposed to be the alleged leader of the Republican Party. And I, I understand you want to play both sides of the aisle here. But if you want to cut this thing down the middle, um, Republican and conservative voices were the victims of the ones being silenced on this. And I'd like to see some leadership stand up on that side of the party and say, we're not going to have this. What's your thoughts and happy, uh, happy Christmas and Merry New Year? Yeah. So, yeah, here, Mitch McConnell, it would be great to say I'm a little bit outraged about what's happening. Very outraged. I cannot. I look forward to the hearings in the House. We have to get to the bottom and reigning in our intelligence community. It doesn't seem to be his speed. It doesn't. You know, Trent Lott was uh, different than that. Uh, Paul Ryan would have been speaking out about this, for goodness sakes. John Boehner would have been speaking about it. Kevin McCarthy is. But Mitch McConnell is into wrangling votes and setting policy and maybe political conjecture and strategy. But he's not a big ranter, which I think he'd find a microphone. I don't care how boring he is. And just say what I've been reading in these Twitter communications is extremely disturbing. But right now he's in a territorial war of influence the Republican Party with Donald Trump. They hate each other. So by singing that song, maybe he's concerned that it'll look like he's going to bat for Trump and the election was fixed. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Tyrus next. So glad you're here. Get ready. Christmas just around the corner. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There was a big shift in the FBI after 9-11. What was predominantly an agency that was working with state and locals to investigate and interdict drug crime and violent crime became immediately an agency that started to turn its attention to more clandestine investigations, all in the guise of trying to protect America from terrorism. Well, what did they do? They filled their ranks with with computer analysts and with different types of agents than we've seen historically. Individuals that now have to justify their existence. And what did they do? They turned to more political and more partisan investigations and justified by those at the top, like Jim Comey and others. That's what I've heard. They've changed. They had to get get ahead of things. They had to find out where the next stack was going to be before it happened, rather than investigating crimes that took place and then preventing them down the line. So they changed their approach. But now, next thing you know, we seem to be targeting other Americans. And now, according to a lot of whistleblowers we were about to hear from, they're coming out very ideologically driven. And that, to me, is part of the issue that I possibly find most disturbing. So the FBI comes back and says, listen, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be monitoring things. I'm supposed to find foreign entities. I'm supposed to look at this through my expertise team and share it with the vice president, Yoel Roth, and tell him where to do. Well, Yoel Roth said that they tipped him off about the Hunter Biden laptop story ahead of time. The FBI agent, Elvis Chan, says, no, I didn't. I never did that. Well, Yoel Roth was under oath. Then he says he doesn't remember. Why is that important? That's a domestic story that would have definitely affected the election, maybe not turned it, but affected it, that they went out of their way to make sure it played no role. 
Here's Kim Strassel last night. I was I substitute for Laura Ingram on the FBI pushing back that they were just doing as told. Cut 16. This is an FBI that we now know has interfered in two presidential elections. Okay, and if you want a reminder about just how much it interfered in 2016, go and take a look at some of those John Durham transcripts from the trials. It was over the top. This is also an FBI that's lied to the FISA court and been called out by the FISA court for that and inspector generals. Uh, It's an FBI that's mismanaged its Woods files. Uh, We know some of its other transgressions with regard to Hunter Biden. And then suddenly it comes out and expresses shock that anybody is questioning its behavior and comes out and on top of it lands on the journalists who are simply like Michael, who are simply reporting the actual facts. And you're talking about Michael Schoenberger and the next thing to come out, the next trench is going to be COVID. Remember, uh, I was kidding before when I said you had to walk by the Rockefeller Plaza Christmas tree. You couldn't stand there. Then later we found out you can't catch it outdoors. You don't have to wear a mask outdoors. We had kids running around playing soccer and football. Now football, but field hockey, softball, wearing masks. We realized how stupid that was. But if you listed that it was a problem, misinformation, you're, you might get suspended. Or you might get shadow banned on Twitter. That's an issue. I don't want the FBI deciding that what I'm saying about a mask or a vaccine, that they are the doctors of the moment. Now, most of what the doctors found out, because the Chinese fundamentally didn't tell us what was hitting us, turned out wrong. Including if you get vaccinated, you're not going to get this virus anymore. We're by four virus, uh, variants in and more people vaccinated are getting the virus than not before. Not anti-vax, but I'm not going to get any. Well, I got the vaccine once. That's it. You're not going to ban me or keep me from coming in buildings. So that's next that's coming down the pike. At Twitter alone, there are eight former FBI agents working as the, at the company's so-called Trust and Security Division. So if the FBI wants an in on what Twitter's actually doing, if they're listening or not, maybe they're going to call some of their old colleagues, wouldn't you think? And there's a bunch of CIA at Meta, and I cannot wait to find out what's going on there. So a little bit later this morning, Jonathan Gillum, who's a former FBI agent and former Navy SEAL, said this about what we've known so far, along with the FBI defending itself, cut 19. Whenever the FBI or the, anybody in the federal government uh, builds a relationship with a private entity and then utilizes them to carry out an action. That private entity knowingly or unknowingly has become an agent of the government. So what is very intriguing about this and damning, I think, to the FBI is that executives from the FBI, and we're here now that the CIA as well, left those agencies, went to Twitter and other uh, social media companies And then they're the ones who were working directly with the FBI uh, to do these types of oppressive censorship actions. So in in essence, they sent their own people into these social media companies to become their sources and carry out their actions. So uh, that's exactly what happened. And Jonathan would know he's worked in the private sector and he's been professional at the FBI as well as in the military. I'll add to this. So I'm at two two, two, uh, schools of thought. Number one, if I'm at Twitter and I am concerned uh, because people have been telling me about foreign entities getting into my system, I might go, okay, the FBI is looking over my shoulder. Why don't I hire one of those guys? Let them know I'm on the up and up. And if you guys can help me, you can help me. But then when they start with the constant calls and the sidelining these small accounts and uh, telling them and going to the Aspen Institute with other entities, you think to yourself, hey, guys, back off a little. But who's going to back off when you hired eight FBI agents who feel as though they're right on the money? And who are they loyal to? You? Were they loyal to the buddies that they used to work with that helped place them there? So for the FBI to push back, okay. 
congratulations, using conspiracy theorists. That's not something you get in a press release, and that's not an area I expect the FBI to go to. But if people have a problem with what you're doing, don't say conspiracy theorists. And you did have the you the FBI did have the laptop ahead of time. The laptop was authentic. You never investigated it. But the day you sidelined it from the New York Post, 51 uh, uh, intelligence operators signed off to say it wasn't real. Who would know that ahead of time? Matt Taibbi is pretty much astounded. Astounded that more people are at least acknowledging that these Twitter files are news and newsworthy. Here's what he said to Matt Taibbi, cut 20. The reason that it sort of broadly speaking has been favorable to the establishment liberal class was just because that's the general affiliation of the people that were on the team. Yeah, that's one of the things that's amazing about this, the stuff that we've already put out even is you can see in these threads, somebody will say, oh, this got escalated by whatever the ops team. What do you think? And then like two minutes later, you'll get a decision from some very senior executive who will say, nah, you know, that's fine. Because the executive clearly either thinks it's true uh, based on whatever or did a Google search and found an NPR article that, that they, they liked. or I mean, it's, it's that, it's that uns- unsophisticated on that level. It's like they'll, they'll, get a re- they'll, they'll get a request about something and then they'll do like a two-second Google search and that will be with the basis for whether or not they censor it. It's just really weird. Wow. Uh- it is. And Matt Taibbi saying it is even weirder. Uh, and, and by observing, like, he's befuddled. This is a big story. So, you know, Maggie Haberman is all over the Trump story, right? She's trending right now, and she's been all over Trump story, and she's been all over Trump uh, disciples who went out of January 6th. But everything that she writes is against Trump. Never writes anything positive for her. Maybe a throwaway line here and there. Everything she writes is against Trump. He's so unworthy. He's so unwieldy. He's so uh, undependable. He's somebody who never should be in the position. doesn't say it directly, but she says it through the anecdotes she chooses to include. Matt Taibbi is not sitting there and saying the FBI is bad. saying this is unbelievable that this is taking place, that they're drilling down on people with 72 followers. And that there's some pushback and Yoel Roth indicating under deposition because they were being sued by the Tea Party patriots for throwing the election. So under deposition said, yeah, they told about the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, we all know that was up true and they all came out and said, yeah, we should never have done that. More from Matt Taibbi, Cut 21. You can kind of maybe justify there being some kind of involvement in suppressing this or that. I I guess there's an argument for that, but they're doing it at a level that's so micro and so ridiculously thorough that it can't possibly be anything but a a dystopian project. I mean, they want to absolutely control, control or at least have some impact on basically every communication that happens on their platform, which seems crazy to me. I don't know about you, but that seems that seems more in the realm of Orwell to me. Crazy to me. You know what I would love to see happen now? Elon Musk to take a supervisor role, not talk as much. I don't want to see Tesla or SpaceX hurt. Guy's a genius. I don't care if you agree with everything he says. It doesn't matter. He's a cut above. He's, he's that guy. That person is just so much smarter than you're glad he's in our country. So, uh, and he's extremely ambitious and not everything's going to come out great, but man, I appreciate the quest and I think he inspires people. So no more tweets. I would have very limited tweets. I would find somebody that thoroughly understands it. He probably hangs out with some of the people that could take on this and then go and get some subscribers back. He wants this to be a subscription thing because right now it looks like Twitter has lost 
about 70% of its advertisers, or at the very least, they didn't spend last month on the platform. He needs it back because he, he needs to get about $5 billion from those advertisers on a regular basis. 89% of the revenue comes from ads. 7% of Twitter's come from the t- 7% of all the money comes from the top advertisers. So he needs to get them back, whether it's incentives, give them all Tesla, whatever it needs, get them back. And the way you could do that is by stepping aside, doing interviews on it, but not getting into play-by-play on it. When it's time to testify, go up and show up and testify. But some, do put someone there that loves the day-to-day that clearly doesn't have a political agenda. And then there will be the source and the platform that people at Fox want to go to, people at Breitbart want to be at, and that people at the Daily Beast feel comfortable with. Because they just, they're, not gonna, they're gonna be able to be looser with restrictions, barring jump, you know, barring suicide thoughts and, and murder and things like that, and Nazism, and I understand that. But it'll be freer than anything else. But right now, him moving back off the day by day will be the best thing possible. When we come back, I'm going to finish up with some calls, one 408 Just let me urge you, too, the last few days, if you're going to go to the bookstore, the president and freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul is really a pushback on where we were at race in America. And these two extraordinary men pushed us forward in a way probably only they could have. Uh, that's the great way of our country, right people at the right time, right? Brian Kilmeade Show. Now it's your turn. Give Brian a call. 866-408-7669. Our callers are the best. They're really smart. Much smarter than the hosts. Wait a second. (laughs) It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mark, how are you feeling out there? Uh, again, uh, the same way I felt about eight minutes ago when you asked me that same question, Ryan. I normally do sports. Uh, everything is canceled here for the next couple of days. So what better time to ask the sports guy to come in about five hours normally uh, earlier than he would normally wake up, go stand out in the wind and the snow and the cold, and tell other people not to do the same. So that is uh, that is just a sportscaster thrown to put the zero degree zero degree temperatures, right, Eric? Yeah, from KWWL in Waterloo, Iowa. This guy's going viral. I guess he's a local sports reporter who was sent out to cover the uh, weather shift. Today. Right, and he was really upset. And he, I, I watched it this morning, so people were telling me about it. And it's pretty, I guess they were having fun with it, though. It wasn't as if he was rebelling, looking to get fired. No, but there was a lot of snark behind his voice. You can hear it here, kind of. I didn't even realize that there was a 3.30 also in the morning uh, until today. This is a really long show. Tune in for the next couple hours to watch me progressively get crankier and crankier. How do I get that uh, Storm Chaser 7 duty? I I feel like Clint got the uh, better end of that deal. You know, that thing's heated. Um, The outdoors currently is not heated. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! So he was upset. Uh, I do feel bad. When we were tossing out to reporters in Minneapolis, it was minus 12. It was minus 7 in Chicago. And it's our Fox Weather app, and our team is unbelievable. But I guess when you do weather, you have to be prepared to go out in the weather. <laughs> right? I, you don't know, think about that. you got to be uh, prepared for extreme elements. Right. Remember- but, I mean, is it really necessary to put somebody in seven, minus 7-degree seven weather in order to explain how cold it is? 
I think the sports reporter would agree with. Right. So I think that Chicago is going to have a game. New England's going to have a game. Kansas City is hosting. They're hosting in a must-win game for Seattle this weekend. So the NFL is going to play unless it's a blizzard. I just wonder if the Giants, for example, in Minneapolis have obviously the worst, but they have a dome. But if you can't get in because the, because the runways are bad, the NFL might have a problem. But they used to deal with it. I mean, I just don't understand it. I mean, to see these guys, I mean, you see the ice ball, they're wearing short sleeves when they play. That, to me, is insane. And you can't really pass. How do you pass in that weather? You need Jim Thorpe. That's what you need. David, listening in Boca Raton. Hey, hey David. Hey, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? You know, it's, uh, by the way, I love the show. You, you get absolute clarity listening to you. And uh, Thank it's refreshing. You. I'm out in Florida. And, you know, you, you get all this, all these stimulus bills and everything. Um, taxpayers are paying for it all. Not only that, but we're paying for investigations for Hillary, and she's still on the air. And she's still <laughs> piping down things. And, you know, that, that, it doesn't make sense to me, the hypocrisy of the whole Trump and January 6th committee and all these committees and committees and committees and all these all the, the people that are paying for it are toward a tax or all taxpayers. And I just think the whole thing is is disgusting, and there's no realism uh, because of how deep, deep, deep everything is. And I will say, uh, back to the football, uh, sorry for my Dolphins last week, but it was. They were, they were also playing in a blizzard uh, right. temperature. So and they're used to Miami. Them for, yes, sir. Right. Uh, I'll tell you what, one thing is good to, for them, the Jets lost. Uh, and we'll and the New England Patriots <laughs> threw maybe threw their season out in the street in the worst play I've ever ever seen, bar none. Actually, Joe Prasarchek's fumble was the worst thing when he handed it off to Zonka and Zonka didn't know it, and the ball just bounces around. And Herb Edwards picks it up, and Philadelphia Eagles ended up in the Super Bowl that year. The Giants ended up blowing up their team. The NFL got involved and finally put George Young in there between the Warring Mara family, and it changed everything around. But that was just a terrible play by. Uh, Bill Belichick, who looks more human ever since Brady left. And I'll add, I'll add something else to this, um, the, the big picture, and that is the thing about football, which not only is it, I think, a better sport than baseball, the fact is the Buffalo Bills might be the best team in football. And over the last 10 years, of 15, maybe 15, the 20 Packers have been one of the best teams in football every year. That doesn't happen in baseball because small markets – Unless they – small markets just don't do it. I mean, Tampa has an t- a unbelievable franchise that contends, but they can't keep their players. And now in baseball, the Mets and Yankees, Dodgers and Padres, uh, Texas Rangers, I guess, are outspending everybody. And I just think that the best thing about a league is when every team, big and small, has a chance to compete. I know about Green Bay for one reason, because of the Packers. And people want to go there still because they have a shot to win. When Reggie White went there, especially. Joe, listening on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, Merry Christmas again. Same team. Nothing's going to happen to Sam uh, Bateman Freed. You know, the big name Republicans were taking money from his crypto partner, Salami. So it's just going to be, he'll get out on technicalities, maybe get a pardon from Biden. Too many big names. It's going to be a backroom deal with this guy. Scaramucci. How did he not know? He bought 30% of Skybridge. He didn't vet him. He paid him cash. Then he flies to the Bahamas to speak with him before the FBI. It's too weird for me to understand what was happening here, Brian. 
Scaramucci's meeting with Jack Dorsey before the 2020 election. He's the crypto guru. And then we find, and he knows Trump is going to uh, lose big time. Ha, ha, ha. What's going on here? It's, it's uh, uh, the elites. Uh, they're all connected, whether they're Republican or Democrats. Yeah, listen, I wouldn't say he's going to skate, but he gets, he should do, the way it looks now, he should get over 100 years in prison. And those million people that lost cumulatively over a billion dollars should start calling press conferences to let everybody know the guy who can't find a comb or a shirt that fits or or a a Peloton is a corrupt, evil guy. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.